Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the serialized audiobook, Ancestor, written by number one New York Times bestselling novelist, Scott Sigler, performed by the author. Ancestor is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash Ancestor. November 30th, 9.27 p.m. The cows huddled in a black and gray cluster, too dark for anything to be white. Thick, heavy-limbed pine trees helped block the wind, but not much. Snow continued to fly in great sheets. Even in the woods, it was already so deep it melted against the cow's burgeoning bellies. Sarah leaned against a tree, shaking violently, trying to rub hands that the cold had turned into curled, brittle talons. The tips of her fingers stung badly. Stinging was okay. When they went numb, that meant frostbite. She felt like her entire skeleton was made from icy steel. She had to find shelter. Tim lay in a heap on the ground, snow already drifting on and around his body. Sarah had her doubts he would live through the hour, let alone the night. She guessed the temperature at 20 below zero, far beyond that with the wind chill. Rabelchie Bay was close to Sven Valentine's place. If she could find Sven's house, she could save Tim. But which way? Visibility was less than 20 feet. No moon, no stars. The only chance was to strike out on her own, find Sven's place, then come back for Tim. Sarah found a huge pine tree with boughs so laden down by snow they created a small cave underneath. Ice-cold hands reached in and broke off dry, dead branches, clearing out a space. It wasn't much, but it blocked the wind. She dragged him inside. She felt an overwhelming urge to lie down next to him and just sleep. Exhaustion filled her body, as did pulsing pain from running amid the stampede and suffering the explosion's concussion wave. On top of the physical fatigue, her mind nearly choked at the anguish of losing her friends. Had they died quickly in the blast? Had they burned to death? She'd avoided any serious burns herself, which was the only good news. She ached. She throbbed. She wanted to collapse. She looked at Tim Feely lying prone amid the pine needles, broken branches, and dead twigs. If she didn't find him real shelter, he would die. She started to cry. She didn't want to go back out there. No more. She couldn't take any more. But she had to. Her frigid hands wiped away the tears. Sarah breathed deeply through her nose, mustering her resolve. She pulled her parka sleeves over her brittle hands, then gently pushed back through the limbs so as not to disturb the snow walls. November 30th, 9.38 p.m. Every five minutes or so, 
the hurricane winds died down briefly, only to pick right back up again. In those seconds-long breaks, the blowing snow seemed to relax, improving visibility from about 20 feet to around 100. And in those gaps, the small light stood out like a beacon of hope. Sarah leaned on a tree at the edge of the woods, eyes peering across an open field at the flickering glow. She didn't have much strength left. If this light turned out to be nothing, she'd have no choice but to walk back to Tim's tree, crawl under, and let nature decide their fate. She walked out into the field. Unencumbered by trees, the wind blew far stronger, driving stinging sheets into her face and eyes. She leaned into the wind and fought through the waist-deep snow. With each clumsy step, the light became a little brighter, a little steadier. A few steps more, another lull in the wind, and she took in a sight more beautiful than anything she'd ever seen. The light was mounted on a barn. Sven's barn. She turned and trudged back through her own waist-deep trail. Five feet from the barn door, Sarah's legs finally gave out. After a half-mile of carrying a deadweight, 145-pound man through the waist-deep snow, her body couldn't do it anymore. She fell face-first into a fluffy eight-foot bank that had been sculpted by wind whipping off the red barn. Tim all but disappeared, powder puffing up and around and on him until only his feet stuck out. She couldn't get up. She didn't want to get up. Fuck it. So she'd freeze to death. So what? It was only a matter of time before Magnus came for her. Why not get it over with now? Just be dead, like the friends she'd failed to help. Alonzo. Cappy. Miller. Why not just give up? Because she wanted to see Magnus Paglione dead. And that was more than enough reason to fight on. Sarah picked herself up. Not even bothering to brush the snow off her face, she stumbled to the barn's big sliding door. Her numb hands gripped the black handle. Failing muscles pushed, and with a rattle of metal wheels, the door opened a couple of feet. She stepped inside, leaving the storm behind as she entered an oasis of calm. How did they get in here? Through watering eyes, she saw perhaps two dozen cows lying peacefully in hay-filled stalls. She shook her head trying to clear her thoughts. Sven's cows, not the cows from the plane. Sarah willed herself back into the storm and grabbed Tim's feet. She pulled the man free of the bank. His face slid across the snow-covered ground, but it was the best Sarah could manage. Finally, after all that cold and pain and fatigue, she dragged Tim Feely into shelter. Sarah stumbled to the sliding barn door and put her weight against its black handle. The wind blew snow inside, almost as if it were some supernatural hand, making one last grab for the meal that got away. Wheels creaked as the door shut, reducing the wind to nothing more than an exterior howl. The barn wasn't warm, but it was well above freezing. Sarah heard the hum of a gas-powered generator. She looked around the huge barn, and saw the orange glow of several portable heaters. Safety. She'd done it. With her last ounce of strength, Sarah dragged him in front of one of the big electric heaters, then collapsed. Sleep came almost instantly. 
Book 5, The Newborns December 1st, 7.15 a.m. The storm's fury had passed, but winds continued to whip powdery snow across the island and drive five-foot waves onto the ice-covered rocks. Colding stood on the sprawling rear porch, staring out across the water. Clayton was hard at work shoveling snow off the porch and salting the half-inch of ice that had accumulated during the night. Colding hadn't slept much. He'd stayed in his room, still dirty from burying Jean in a shallow grave. He had sat on the floor's thick carpet, staring at a window that showed the night's blackness that rattled with the storm's wind, sat and thought of his failures, of Clarissa, Erica, Jean, and if the C-5 hadn't made it, Sarah. The next thing he knew, he woke up on the floor still dressed. He hadn't bothered showering or changing, just put on his coat, boots and hat, and walked to the porch. Each thrust of Clayton's shovel sounded like a gong dragged across broken glass. The old man worked away, his eyes bright and clear, cones of vapor billowing out of his stubbled mouth. He stopped and leaned on the shovel, his chest heaving a little. Rough night, eh? Yeah, Colding said. Life really took a dump on us. Hell, you should have been here in 68, eh? So damn cold the mouth of the harbor froze over. We had to plant dynamite to break up the ice to get the boats in. That was the year Paul Newman fell in while we were ice fishing. Me and Charlie Heston had to drag him back to shore. Clayton paused for a moment. You're really worried about Sarah, eh? Yeah, Colding said. I am. Pretty fucking stupid to send him out in that storm. Typical words from the old man, but not a typical tone. He didn't sound insulting. He sounded regretful. Clayton picked up the shovel again and got back to work, the gong on glass sound ripping the air. When do you expect to hear back from him? Colding shrugged. They should be back in Manitoba already. Should be back, but no word yet, at least not that Magnus had shared. Clayton scraped snow two more times, then he rested the shovel against the mansion wall. He picked up the salt jug and tossed granules down in the freshly cleared ice. He opened the French doors to the lounge, then stopped, turned, and gave Colding a hard, cautious look. I want to know something, Clayton said. Tell me the truth. You just fucking that girl, or you love her? The question magnified Colding's misery, his powerlessness. That familiar feeling of tears again, but this time, tears of frustration, maybe even tears of rage. I love her. Clayton nodded, took off a glove, and rubbed his mouth. Thought so. You need anything, you let me know. I seen a lot of shit come and go on this island. Something's off here, I can feel it. He kicked snow off his boots. Something's real off, eh? And one way or another, we're gonna have to deal with it before too long. Clayton walked inside and shut the door behind him, leaving Colding alone in the frigid morning to wonder what the words really meant. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. 
That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. December 1st, 7.15 a.m. Had she slept on a bed of dull nails? Every atom hurt, pulsed, screamed, or ached. She smelled of sweat and dirty hay, the odors combining with the unmistakable scent of cows and cow shit so that even her nose found something to bitch about. Sarah pushed herself up on one elbow. She wanted to sleep, sleep for days, for weeks even, but she had to move. She looked at Tim Feely, and suddenly, all the pain was worth it. He sat on his butt, hugging his knees to his chest, head down and eyes closed. He swayed slightly. Jim, her voice cracked from a dry throat. Are you okay? He looked up. A huge red and purple bruise covered the right side of his face from hairline to chin. Dried blood clotted the black line of stitches on his forehead. Dark circles ringed both eyes. I'm pretty fucking far from okay, Tim said. How long have I been out? Sarah took a deep breath, then gave Tim the condensed version of everything she knew. Jean's death, Colding sending the plane out in the storm, Magnus's bomb, the crash landing, and the struggle to reach Sven's barn. Tim sat quietly for a moment, taking it all in. He gently rubbed his swollen knee. Even the smallest touch there made him wince. So everyone but you and I are dead. I'd be dead if you hadn't dragged my ass a mile through a blizzard. Sarah nodded. Thanks, Tim said. The word couldn't have been simpler, and the look of gratitude and sheer amazement in his eyes couldn't have been deeper. Sounds like Roomcorp really fucked up the works. I hope he's dead. Sarah hoped for the same. Roomcorp's actions had caused her friend's deaths. I got out just before it blew, she said. I didn't see anyone else. She looked around the barn, taking in its details for the first time. Fairly standard, 15-foot-wide aisle, big enough for a large farm tractor to drive through. 25 stalls on each side. Full haylofts above each row, all under a high arcing roof supported by thick wooden rafters. A few small birds fluttered up there, tiny chirps adding an oddly optimistic feel to their dark situation. Big cowheads peeked out from most of the stalls, vacant black eyes staring curiously at the strangers lying on the ground. Instead of a cow, the first stall to the left of the big sliding door housed a brand new Arctic Cat snowmobile. Its presence was only a partial comfort. They could use it to get away from Sven's barn, but where would they go? We can't stay here, Tim. How's the knee? Fucked up nine ways to Sunday. I think the patella might be broken. Sure as hell can't put weight on it. She shook her head. I almost died carrying your ass here. You're coming with me and you're walking. I'll help you, but you are coming with me. But what about the storm? It's warm in here. I don't hear much wind, so I think the storm is over. That means Sven will be here soon to check on these cows. But isn't that what we want? We need help. I'm hurt. I need a doctor. Sarah rubbed her eyes. 
Just one other survivor, and it couldn't be Alonzo or one of the twins. Someone with metal. It had to be this pussy. Tim, listen to me. If Magnus finds out we're alive, he'll come for us. We're still too close to the plane. We've got to get out of here, try and find Colding. Maybe we can use that snowmobile over there. Tim looked at the Arctic cat, but his thoughts were obviously on the bigger picture. Didn't Colding send us up? How can you trust him now? Sarah took in a slow breath. She couldn't trust Colding. But those nights they'd spent together, the things he told her. At the very least, he was a far better risk than Gunther or Andy or even Clayton. I don't know that we can trust him. A dog bark from outside made them freeze. The barn door slid open, just a crack. Sarah grabbed Tim's hand and yanked him into a stall just as the door opened a little bit more, letting a golden rectangle of brilliant winter morning sunlight spill onto the barn floor. Sven Ballantyne leaned against the door for a third time. The snow had drifted high against it, half blocking it, half freezing it shut. It opened just enough for him to slide inside. Mookie pushed through his legs and ran into the barn, tail wagging furiously. She darted from cow to cow as if to say hello to all the friends she'd missed during the storm, staring at each one briefly to let them know she was there and that she was in charge. Take it easy, girl, Sven said. I'm sure they miss you too, eh? And then Sven Ballantyne heard a moo. At least he thought he'd heard it, but it hadn't come from the barn. He looked back through the open door, out across the blazing expanse of his snowed-over hayfield. Sunlight roared off the undulating surface, an electric field of frozen white waves running up to the thick pine trees at the field's edge. Moo! There it was again, and it hadn't been his imagination. Mookie started barking, a long row, 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 the kind of urgency usually reserved for trespassing squirrels or insolent rabbits. But Sven didn't look didn't turn around to see Mookie's hackles raised at two battered people hiding in a stall, crouched down by the black and white legs of the stall's normal occupant. Row, 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 row. Shut up, girl, Sven said. Moo. No mistake that time. And it wasn't just one cow. It was several. Row, 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 row. God damn it, Mookie. Shut the hell up. The scream seemed to hit Mookie like a rolled-up newspaper. Her head dropped to the ground, her tail curled slightly between her legs. Sven walked out of the barn. He peered across the blinding field, looking for movement. He had to squint to block the worst of the reflected light. There, cows at the edge of his field. Sven pushed the barn door open a little wider, then walked inside and hopped on the Arctic cat. It started on the first try. The sound of the engine drew Mookie away from the two people her master didn't seem to notice. The dog barked at the snowmobile and turned three fast circles. Sven eased the sled out of the barn, then gunned the engine. Mookie followed, barking all the way. December 1st, 7.31 a.m. Clayton sat in the Nuge's toasty warmth. Frank Sinatra blared from the stereo. Sinatra. Now there was a man who could knock back shots of bourbon. Clayton fondly remembered his earliest days in the island, when he and Frank and Dean had drunk Sammy under the table. After Sammy passed out, 
Clayton had replaced the singer's glass eye with a ball bearing. Sammy had been pissed as hell the next day, but Frank thought it was fucking hysterical. Always so beautiful after a big storm. The most beautiful place on earth, really. Not a day went by when Clayton didn't thank the Lord above he'd not only lived here for 50 years, but been paid to do so. The storms had covered everything in a thick marshmallow coating. Pine trees looked like lumpy white giants out of some paint-by-numbers canvas. The snow changed leafless hardwood branches into soft skeletons. A trillion snowflakes reflected the morning sun, making the landscape shimmer and sparkle. The BV dragged its weighted sled along the snowmobile trail. Fourteen inches of snow had dropped in little more than 24 hours. A fresh snow meant Magnus would want to take the sleds out, so Clayton had to make sure the trails were properly groomed and ready to go. Something just off with that Magnus boy. His brother Dante wasn't much better. At first, Clayton had thought Colding was yet another Janata doofus, like that asswipe Andy Crossweight. But maybe Colding was all right. Poor kid was a mess worrying about Sarah. And he wasn't the only one. Clayton liked that girl. Something was wrong on Black Manitou. Way wrong. Fifty years on the island. Long enough to know the spirit of a place. To know when something stank worse than a shit sandwich with a side of skunk spunk. Well, no point worrying until something happened. Que sera sera, as Doris Day had said. Now she had been a looker. Too bad she wouldn't put out the little tease. Clayton hummed my way as he moved up the trail, wondering if Sarah and the others had landed in Manitoba. December 1st, 7.34 a.m. Sarah risked a peek past the stall wall. Through the open barn door, she saw Sven, his dog, and some cows far across the snowy field. Get up, Tim. We're moving. Moving to where? The million-dollar question. They could go into Sven's house, wait for him to come back, and then... What? Use her Beretta to shoot the old man? Take him hostage? There wasn't any other shelter, except... That abandoned town, she said, right in the middle of the island. We can lie low there for a little bit, figure out what to do next. How far away is that? Maybe five miles. Tim stared at her like she had a dick growing out of her forehead. Five miles on foot? Sarah nodded. It's our only option. We have another option. He pointed to the pistol on Sarah's hip. No, Sarah said. We don't know that Sven has anything to do with this. I'm not going to hurt him. You don't have to shoot the guy. Just point it at him and no, Tim. I know guns. You draw this thing on a human being, you better be prepared to use it, and I'm not going to blow away some old man. Besides, as far as we know, he has to check in with Magnus every couple hours or something. Or colding, Tim said. Sarah said nothing. I say we take the house, Tim said. Doesn't matter what you say. Sarah crept to the barn door and looked out. Sven was still out there with the cows from the C-5. Mookie bounded through the snow, running a long circle around the herd. Sven would come back the same way he'd gone out, which meant Sarah and Tim couldn't go out the front. Too much fresh snow. Sven would be bound to see the tracks. She walked deeper into the barn, looking for an exit. Directly opposite the big sliding door, 
she saw a normal, hinged door with a four-paned window on the top half. She used her sleeve to scrape frost away from a small spot, then looked out. Nothing much out there other than snowdrifts, a tiny snow-covered shed, and a few snow-capped fence posts. She pulled the door open, slowly, so that the drift built up on the other side wouldn't fall into the barn. The snow there looked like a waist-high white wall. She stepped over it into the deep snow, then reached back to help the limping Tim Feely. She carefully shut the door. Some snow fell in, but she hoped the still-running heaters might melt it before Sven returned. She and Tim stood side by side, backs flat against the barn. Before them was a long stretch of undisturbed white marked with high drifts. A single line of footprints led into the shed. Those tracks were covered with less than an inch of snow, making each print look fuzzy and blurred. Look, Tim said, there's no frost on the shed windows. It's heated. He was right. Probably an electric heater like the ones in the barn. Inviting, but too risky. We can't hide there, Sarah said. Looks like Sven went to the shed sometime last night. Means he might be in there again today. It's only six by six. Nowhere to hide if he comes out. Shit. What now, gunslinger? We just go and hope he doesn't come back to the shed and see our footprints leading out of the barn. Come on. She put her shoulder under Tim's arm to carry some of his weight. Together, they trudged through the deep snow. Sven looked all around, searching for any sign of a person. There had to be someone around. Had to. It wasn't like 43 cows could just appear out of thin air. They weren't James Harvey's herd. As far as Sven knew, James's cows weren't knocked up, and these girls were pregnant with a capital P. Mookie was doing her thing, circling the herd, stopping and staring with her head low to the ground. If her eyes had been lasers, she could have burned a hole clear through the moon. She packed the cows together, waiting for Sven's commands. He walked up to one of the cows. It had an all-white head with a black eye patch. The plastic tag clipped through its ear read A34. In permanent marker, someone had scrawled Molly McButter underneath the numbers. The tag meant the cows were from the main facility on the south end of the island. How in the hell had the cows traveled some ten miles during the night in the midst of a mangler of a blizzard? Well, hello there, Molly. I bet you've had an interesting night, eh? The cow said nothing. Sven didn't see any tracks, just a few snow-covered low lines in the snow. That meant the cows had stood here for several hours, tucked into the edge of the woods, waiting out the storm that had covered their path. Sven kept patting Molly and talking in a low, calm voice. Well, ladies, I better get you all under cover, eh? We've got another storm due soon. He held up a hand. Mookie's head swiveled, her body motionless, her eyes now only on Sven. The dog radiated intensity. This was her favorite thing in all the world, except, perhaps, for nap time. Mookie, find! The lithe dog shot through the snow and into the woods. She'd search for any strays and bring them back. Sven started the snowmobile and began guiding the cows back to the barn. You have been listening to Ancestor by Scott Sigler. Performed by the author. Produced by Empty Set Entertainment.
Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.